0: Thanks for the opportunity to be here and to uh share some experience, strength and hope. Um and I appreciate everybody coming um and, and taking the time to be on the call. And you know, I'm to be honest, I was nervous. Uh I am nervous if I'm being fully honest. Um, but it helped me to remember um, in fact, I had asked the organizers not to record this call previously. Um, I have given permission now, so don't, don't be alarmed. Um, but I, I had asked not to. Um, and, and as I was thinking about it earlier today, and I stopped and I asked myself one of the, the most important questions before I have to ever uh, present or talk or be in a meeting or something, I asked you know, what do I want for the participants? What do I want for you? Initially, my instinct is to share, what do I want to share? I want to tell you this or tell you that. But if I add in that extra half and say, what do I want for the participants? It takes the focus off of me and it helps me get into the speaker, into the listener's shoes and say, well, what do I want for the listeners to take away? And in doing that, it, uh, It helped me remember that (laughs) I accepted this invitation tonight not because of me, um, but because of you. And just perhaps someone needs to hear something that I might share. And so just a few minutes before the call, I texted the organizers and said, you know, I changed my mind and it's okay to record because it's not about me. And the answer to that question I had of what do I want for you? I hope in my share tonight you'll take away two things. Um, the first is to know and believe that you are not alone, and you being here is evidence to that. But but I I hope that you will remember that you're not alone. You're not alone in your recovery. You're not alone in the moments when you struggle. Um, and I wouldn't be here where I am today um, except for this fellowship. I'm so grateful, um, and, and so I hope you'll take that away. I also hope you'll take away the second thing, to find the courage to take the next tiny step in your recovery. Um, so we can check in at the end to see <laughs> if it worked if you got those things or not but uh you know i I a lot of time well here's what I should say here's here's what I want to say. I didn't smoke pot growing up in 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 junior high and high school, and in fact, I was kind of worried that um, what if I liked it? I was kind of afraid that if I liked it. Um, really drugs at all, Um, you know, if I liked it, I could get hooked, and um, I had my friends in high school um, smoke pot, and I was kind of always the responsible one in the group. I mean, we, I I drank with them, and, you know, underage, but, uh, you know, they would smoke, and I was a, I, I was a lifeguard in the summer, and I used that as my excuse that, you know, I need to be able to hold my breath, and I need to have You know, lung capacity, and that was kind of my out um, in junior high and high school. But you know, when when I got to college, in my sophomore year, um, I moved into a fraternity house at Penn State. With you know, it was a 26-bedroom house with 50 other dudes. And uh, I remember as a sophomore, um, some of the guys I looked up to in that house uh, smoked pot a lot. I remember one one day kind of a sunny afternoon sitting around in the space called the library, it's a big, big room. And uh, a bunch of people were, were passing the joint around and uh, I was like, yeah, okay. Um, I think I'll try it. And uh, I smoked it. And I remember taking this, you know, gigantic hit, right. Lungs of a lifeguard. And it was like, and uh, I felt like for the next like half hour, hour, I would like burp and like more smoke would come out. But I remember just laughing and having, you know, not necessarily feeling stoned that first time, but just laughing and just being like, oh man, this is great. And, you know, sure enough, wouldn't you know it? I loved it. <laughs> and uh, exactly what I was afraid of happened, like in almost no time at all, I was a wake and bake stoner. And I had, you know, 15 different kinds of pipes and bongs and bowls and all kinds of paraphernalia. And it was like my latest, greatest thing to geek out on. And that lasted for over 20 years. Um, I almost right away smoked pot all the time. It became kind of a big part of who I was to myself, my identity, and this just kind of chill personality. And, and, uh, but my girlfriend who I met later in college, uh, who is now my wife. Um, but at the time she was just, she, you know, she was my girlfriend and we were dating and she wasn't really that into it. And she kind of, when she would smoke pot, it would just, she would just fall asleep. And so she was just like, nah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not into it, but whatever, you, you know, you do whatever you want to do and that's fine. And after college, we, um, moved down to Colorado. Uh, I wanted to, I went to grad school. We were still dating at the time and then engaged and, and, uh, I had moved into her apartment, even though we'd kind of decided we don't want to, you know, live together, um, before we're, before we're married, um, I, I moved in with her for a couple of months. Uh, I was kind of waiting to get into grad school, and I remember one night, and, and I had a job that would be kind of an afternoon and evening job, and so I, we'd get done with work at like you know eight or nine o'clock, and then a bunch of us would go out. It was a bunch of other young, um, you know, early twenties somethings and uh, we'd go out after work and you know get a couple drinks and there were a bunch of people who smoked pot in that group in fact you know all my closest friends in that group smoked pot and we would smoke pot and of course when i got to colorado it was like what the hell was i smoking in college like this weed is another level out here and uh i remember one night getting in a what started as a conversation uh with my with my girlfriend at her apartment and she's saying you know i don't not only do i not really like you know, smoking pot. I don't really like you smoking pot either. And like, I think you ought to not smoke pot anymore. And I remember in that very moment thinking, well, we're going to have to disagree, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this factor. But that's what I said in my head to myself. What I said out loud was anything to make the conversation stop, basically. And uh, I decided, like, okay, this is – I'm going underground. Like, this is just something that I'm not going to be for out with, right? I'm just going to – and that was, um, you know, just a couple years into our relationship. That was maybe a year or two after college. Um, and so if you're doing the math, I'd only been smoking pot for maybe five years at that time. And I continued to smoke pot every day for over 20 years, which meant the next 15 years was in secret. And um, I would, initially, it was easy to find, you know, get stoned before I got home because I was working till late at night. And then when I went to grad school, there were lots of late nights at grad school and in other positions. And and, uh, so I would just smoke before I got home and, you know, that was, that was fine, just kind of cover it up, and in fact, I got so good at covering it up, I had a whole little routine, right, and got to cover my breath, and cover the smell, and, you know, wash my hands, and like go through this whole routine, so I wouldn't get caught, wouldn't get busted. We moved, um, we got married, moved, and I had a I had a little shed with all my tools and stuff behind the house. That was like my secret spot. Going out to the shed, and um, and I wouldn't the, the 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 weed I used to get out there. Uh, I'd have to drive like a half hour to meet this guy, and it was so stinky that my whole car would reek. And of course, that would be an instant indication. So I started not letting my wife like go in my car. Like, oh, she, she'd be like, oh, I need to get some out of your car. I'd be like, oh, let me get it for you. Right. That's when I began. Well, this term I've learned controlling people, places and things. uh, I didn't know it at the time, but that's absolutely what I was doing, um, was trying to kind of manipulate the whole scene around me. You know, and it made me was like a double win because it made me look like chivalrous and selfless. Be like, oh, let me get that for you, honey. Meanwhile, I'm like, do not go in my car. Right. So um, we we moved, you know, fast forward a little bit. We moved to, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. We had, uh, a daughter. We had another daughter. We had another daughter. I've got three girls and, uh, they're now, um, 18, 16 and 13. But even from the time they were young, like, well, so especially when the time they were young, I had a new and I had a crawl space in this new house, which was big enough to have a workshop in. And that was my new shed, so to speak, right? I'm going to go down to the workshop for a little bit and would, you know, go down and smoke pot and in secret and, you know, tinker. And and I found that, that essentially I was spending all my <laughs> free time uh, getting stoned or Find or thinking about how do I sneak away to get stoned? Cause this whole time is still in secret. And my, I remember this saying that daddies don't do drugs. That was like a little like saying that my brother's family and my brother and I smoked pot together. And like, that was like his wife's way of saying, knock it off was like, uh, you're a daddy now. Daddies don't do drugs. And uh, so something I would even say, but living hypocritically. And I'm now 15 years, 16 years into this habit. And I'm thinking like, there's no way to get out of this. Like it, you know, it got to the point where it wasn't fun anymore. It was just, it was the only way I knew to live. Um, And I was not only spending all my time, alone, sneaking away and coming up with reasons to sneak away. Like literally I would like purposely forget something at the grocery store. So would be like, I have to run back out to the grocery store in another hour and smoke pot. And uh, it, I, I didn't, I didn't want to be in that routine anymore because I wasn't the person I wanted to be. I was, um, for a long time, I had no problem with it. And I felt this spiritual connection to a higher power, especially when I was stoned, and I would just have like commune with a higher power. And For a long time, it was fine. And then, And then it started not to be. And I don't remember like a turning point where it stopped being fun it was this like grind where it was getting less and less fun. And I remember feeling so bad about myself at times that I would do these scoundrelous things. Like we're all loaded up in the car to like go to church and I'm like, Oh, hang on. I forgot to get something and run downstairs to the workshop and hit smoke a oney. Like, while the rest of my family is in the car with the car idling, like, and then come back up and be like, oh, sorry, okay, I'm ready, and then go off to church, right? Like, that was the life I was living. I couldn't, it pains me to think about that, but that's not the life I'm living anymore. And it it was, um, I wasn't sure how I was going to get out of it. In fact, I was sure I could never bring it up to my wife. Like I would just, my mental plan was like, dude, you need to just quit. Get on the other side of this, like five years down the road, then you can like look back and be like, oh yeah, I used to smoke pot back, you know, back then. That was the plan because I could not imagine a way to face my wife and face 15 years of lying, frankly. And um, I am so grateful to my higher power that he created an opportunity for me that was a different way because I had that plan of mine in mind for a few years and it it was not working. I would try to quit. I would throw myself away. I mean, I joke when these when our stories talk about going to bury it and then going back out to dig it out. Like I, I can remember digging through garbage cans where I threw away I'd go out for a walk and on the greenway, throw away my stash and bowl and be like, I'm going to give it up. And like, here I am like two hours later or early the next day, like before work digging through the freaking garbage. That was the cycle I was in. And I was also, I'd also been chewing tobacco secretly this time as well. And I had um, left a can of tobacco in my wife's car by accident. And she was going to get in the car to go, I don't know, run some errands or something. And I ran out and was like, Oh, Hey, hang on a second. And like, she had her window down. And I like was in the side door of the, of the side pocket on the door. And I like reached into the pocket and like, like so foolishly thought I would be like, Oh, don't mind me just grabbing something here and nothing to see here. And she was like, what was that? And I was like, nothing. And she's like, no, what was that? And I was like, nothing. And like ran away. And she like chased me down and was like, what the hell is going on? Like, what, what, what is that? And I was like, ah, it's tobacco. And she like freaked out. Right. was like, what the hell? Like, what is, what is going, like, it turned into this whole big thing. And I remember her saying, like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, this is, like, this is what's wrong with me. I've been hiding this from you. And she was just, like, so frustrated and, like, left. And a couple days later, she had a trip planned to go up to Pennsylvania to see her mom and take our three girls, who were still pretty young at the time, and so they went away for a week and like we didn't talk that whole week. And like, it was just this thick air of getting busted and like sick and tired of it because I'd gotten busted with tobacco a couple times previously. Um, and, and so when she came back from that trip, she, this is the part where I'm so grateful to my higher power because there's no question that this was God at work in my life. But we got back, and we're we're having a calm conversation, but like a serious, like, okay, we need to talk. And my wife said to me something I'll never forget. She said, is there anything else you're hiding from me? And in that moment, I saw this gap. I saw this opportunity and I shot the gap. I said, yes, 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 there is. I've been smoking pot. And she's like, okay, whatever. Like she had no idea at the time or the gravity of the situation, but there it was. That was my opportunity. Put it out there in the midst of a calm conversation. I was like, yep, that's the other thing that's been going on. I've been smoking pot and I've been hiding it and it's a problem. And all of a sudden, we could now talk about it and we could address it together. And within a week or so, we had found MA. I had just started seeing a counselor and, and, uh, went to the counselor and was like, this is, you know, all those things I was telling you is really the problem. Like this is really the problem. I've been smoking pot and keeping it secret. And, uh, she's like, okay, well, maybe you should check out marijuana anonymous. I looked it up and came to the meeting the next week. In fact, that was the, Last day I smoked pot, that was June 15th, 2015. I just looked down at my phone at the beginning of this call, and ironically, that was 2,420 days ago. Amazing to me. I can't even, like, it gives me chills to think that was six years, seven months ago, but that first day I had some In the afternoon before the meeting, I had a little glass oney and some crushed up weed. I smoked in my last bowl and I remember throwing this this little plastic container up in the air and just watching all this crushed up weed just blow away in the wind. And I showed up to that meeting still kind of, not quite stoned, but after stoned. And uh, my legs were shaking and my palms were sweaty. And I remember exactly where I was sitting in that room and for the first time in my whole life, certainly in the last 20 years, I felt like I was not alone. I felt like I was in a place where people understood where I was coming from. I heard people sharing their story and in their story, I heard my story. I remember thinking like, you, got, you get it. You guys know where I'm at, what I'm going through. And I began to have a glimmer of hope that there was this this that there was going to be a way out. And uh, there are so many times I remember, you know, the thing they used to say is just just keep coming back, just keep coming back. And that's what I've done. I've just kept coming back. And that was the last day I I smoked pot, um, but it, that was not. I didn't know it then, um, and in fact, um, I I remember. Um, okay, so take a breath. That first day in MA was a turning point, but it wasn't the only turning point there was because, as you know, our program is not easy. Anyone that's on this call that is in recovery knows this program is not easy. I could not imagine a life without marijuana. And the thought of living my life without marijuana was terrifying. Even now, to say, like, I'll never smoke pot again. Um, I can actually, that did not evoke the emotion I expected it was going to. Every time I've thought that, it's like, I. okay, here's what I want to say. I, and this is the courage to take the next t- tiny step, and I'm going to uh, share um, a little insight around the specific Language um, uh, that that has helped me in that there's two things, Um, but that early on in recovery. It would make my heart beat fast and make me so stressed to think about forever. And I don't remember exactly how, but someone early on said, well, don't worry about forever. Like, just worry about right now, like just get through. Today, like just get through this moment, and that is what has helped me. I'm not here because I set out to get 2,420 days of sobriety, I'm not here because I set out to get a month or a week, even a day of sobriety. I'm here today because I got through one moment and then. When it happened again, I got through the next moment. And when it happened again, I got through the next moment. And early on, there were a lot of moments to try and get through. And it's like, oh, I can I can feel, my body remembers the feeling early on in recovery of jonesing, right? And being like, I don't know how to live right now without, and I wanted to just run away and, I learned to breathe, remember to breathe That was a thing that helped me get through a moment and to call and get a word of encouragement from a friend, from a sponsor, from someone in the fellowship, um, from a couple of my closest friends who did know I smoked pot. there was only you know two or three other guys that were close to me that. Um, knew that I was in recovery and and this was not the life I wanted and they were encouraging me. And, and uh, I couldn't do it alone. Even my wife had to give me, I'm so grateful that my wife gave me the grace to do whatever I needed to do early on in recovery to just get through the next moment, little by little, progress, not perfection. In fact, I had a motto. (laughs) I came up with a motto around the same time, screw perfect. And um, it, it coincided with this idea of progress, not perfection. And this whole motto of little by little, little by little, that's all I need to do. I don't need to look up at the horizon. I don't need to look all the way up at forever. Just look down buddy just look down at your feet and take the next small step just take one tiny step forward it doesn't matter how fast you go if you keep moving forward that was what I had to tell myself and that has been so I've had to tell myself that a whole lot more than 2420 times I've had to tell myself that in each and every moment just get through this moment. Just get through this moment. Don't worry about it. And so look down one tiny step that has helped me. And the fact that I say tiny step, there's another moment that was kind of a interesting, weird, like would have been a nothing kind of moment, except it just happened to hit me. At, at, I still remember this. I was um, – I was still, this was towards the end of my using, but I was using and I was, I was in my car, was driving through and it, it, it didn't, the impact of it didn't occur to me at the time as much as it did once I got into recovery, driving my car. And I was kind of cutting through this neighborhood, this kind of shortcut route. And I remember driving by this, this house, there was a guy out front uh, raking the leaves in his, his house and, And he said to me, when I started driving down, I saw him look up and start to motion towards me. So I was driving pretty fast. And he said, easy does it, as it drove past. And my initial reaction, like I was expecting him to say, slow down, right? Or to be like, and so, but his comment, easy does it, completely disarmed me. I was not. Uh, like I did, I slowed down right away. And then it was just like, wow, that easy does it. That's a, uh, that's, that's nice. Yeah, sure. Easy does it. good, good advice. And I was like, so prepared. Anything else you would have said, slow down, whatever. I would have been like, ah, screw you. Right. Like flip them the bird, whatever. But that idea of easy does it. Once I got into recovery uh, and and this idea of little by little, that, phrase, easy does it, has been so meaningful to me because I've come to realize when something is um, is easy, the easier we make it, the easier it is to do. And if something is easy, it gets done. So easy gets done um, like easy does it. And I know our program is not easy, but the easier we make our recovery of just one tiny next step, I shouldn't say we, I should say me. The easier I have made my recovery, the easier it has been to take that next step. I don't have to do everything. I just need to take this next tiny step. And when I'm stuck, I call someone because, um, it's too easy for me to get in my own head and stay stuck there, and I've just kept coming back um, and 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 there have been times when someone has said, You know, I really appreciate something you shared tonight. And there have been plenty of times, I mean, almost every time I'm in a meeting, I hear a tiny little nugget. That's exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. And for me, that that's like a higher power moment right there, right? A little wink, a little God wink of like just the thing I needed to hear in just the right moment. And so that's the reason I agreed to share my story tonight and, and, and to come on and accept this invitation is because um, maybe – Just maybe you heard something tonight that was useful for you um, in this moment. And um, I'm so grateful that there's a place where I've been able to come and be myself, be messed up, be honest, and be heard, be understood. I have never once in MA felt like I had to be a certain way. I've been able to be myself, messy and, um, <laughs> and whatever. Um, and, and, and I'm so inspired when I see that in other people as well, them just being themselves. And that's what I love about this fellowship um, for me. That's been instrumental in my recovery, and so um, once I remembered that I wasn't here for me, that I accepted this invitation uh, for something beyond me um, and remembered that uh, what I want for you is to remember you're not alone, and I hope that you can find the courage to take that next tiny step so I feel like I'm done. (laughs) Thank you so much for the opportunity to come and share.